This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We're good. Welcome back. Welcome, everybody. Welcome me back. Uh, it's been, uh, you know, a few weeks, so happy to be back. Happy to get us back on the road, uh, you know, the weekly classes. Before we begin, we are learning tonight, to Nechama Bas Chaya Rivka, also to Le'ilu Nishmat Avram Ben Chaim Yehuda, and Yecheskel Ben Avraham. Now, before we actually begin on topic, there is um, a apology, well, a clarification slash apology that I want to um, that I want to put out, and that is that a while ago, before Tisha B'Av, we gave a we gave a series on the hidden story of the sec- destruction of the second Beit Hamikdash, and in the first class, I believe, I mentioned that Herod which was one of the rulers of, of you know, Judea of Israel during that time, was a schizophrenic, terrible leader. And what it appeared to me, it came to my attention that it seemed that from my words that I use schizophrenia as a description of why Herod was a terrible, evil ruler. And while it's true that Herod was a terrible, you know, evil ruler, by no means that I intend that anybody that has, you know, you know, unfortunately, you know, suffering from the condition of schizophrenia or any of the related, uh, you know, mental, you know, conditions, that there should be any negative, you know, connotations related to that. Absolutely not. I did not mean that at all. And if, you know, it came across by that, I want to publicly take that back. It's not the fact that he was schizophrenic. It's not the fact that he had any mental conditions, but rather the fact of his actions that I mentioned that were evil and were bad. So nothing against people that unfortunately are, are going through schizophrenia or, or any other mental condition. And we all wish whoever's going through those types of conditions a complete lema. Uh, but uh, again, the clarification that by no means that I mean to to put that into the category that something being in a bad or a negative uh, connotations. Okay, so that was the public, uh, you know, apology slash clarification that I wanted to put. Now we could begin. You want could begin with the with the class. So this cl- this class on laziness and honor it was a class that one of the series i have i have a lot of plans in my mind i have a lot of plans so only that i could probably should be able to help me to put into fruition but you know i want to do a series on tefila on prayer i want to do a series on character traits so this particular class on laziness was really a topic that i wanted to discuss in when i when i speak about character traits and and bezat hashem with god's help i will want to again delve in it in depth these uh, these two character traits, but I felt it was very important to deal with it now because we 've been dealing with emuna for you know a long time uh, you know I would want to say it 's over a year already, and uh, the truth of the matter is that this topic is so important and uh, there are speakers that do just speak about this topic just like indefinitely. They're just continuing on this topic and, and rightfully so because it's extremely, extremely important. Uh, you know, and I just want to clarify that this type of topic is very different from my other, my other topics that I gave is that you can even tell from the delivery and it's intentionally done so. The delivery of this topic is done intentionally different than anything else. There is sometimes repetition of certain ideas. There are sometimes, there's, quite more stories involved in this. This is more of an emotional tactic that I am working on in this, in this particular uh, series. But 
the reason why I felt laziness is very, very important to deal in this topic of emuna is that people tend to confuse emuna or confuse slash give an excuse emuna for laziness. Meaning that they would go and they would say that everything is from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, everything is from Hashem. And rightfully so, they're very, very correct in that statement. But then they go on and say, okay, so then I don't have to do anything. Like, why do I have to do anything? If everything is from God, everything is from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then I could just sit back. Like, money is going to come from God, so why do I have to go and I have to go work? Why do I have to go and I have to do my effort, my Hishtadlut? You know, it will come. It comes on, on Shaduchim as well. What is the purpose of me going to all these different Shatchanim and trying to put myself out there on dates? If everything is meant from God, and everything is going to come from God anyways, then I could go and sit at home and, you know, my Shaduch, my Zivug will come knocking on my door. Unfortunately, people suffer from health issues. And they say, what is the point? What is the purpose of going to a doctor? I don't need doctors. I don't need a medical team. I don't need medical knowledge. All I have is a Torah. All I have is a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And with that, I will go straight through. And by the way, that is a correct mindset with a caveat in it. You have to obviously go to doctors unless you're on a level which most likely I could say that we're probably not. And therefore, we do need to go to doctors. We do need to go to Shatchanim. We do need to go and work for our money. You know, somebody goes and they want to go and they want to learn. I, I, there's something that bothers me so much. And you have people that they learn. And I ask them, okay, so who is your rabbi? Who are, who's your rabbi? Who's the one that you go to? And they, I, I've heard it time and time again, I don't have a rabbi. I don't need, oh, what's better yet is I don't need a rabbi. I'm like, the fact that you're saying that is so wrong that shows me that you need not one rabbi, a thousand rabbis, which is obviously wrong because you'll only get one rabbi. But again, but the point is that you're you're missing so much of the boat. Everybody has rabbi. I have a rabbi. I have more than one rabbi that I go to, but I have rabbis that I deal with and I speak to on you know uh, you know on a very frequent basis to discuss certain ideas, certain things that I do. Oh, you know, there's so many things that come up that need to be discussed with rabbis. But you have people that go and say, you know what, no. I will go and I will listen and I will learn online. I'll learn from books and that is going to be enough. This brother is going to send me the right information that I need to know. So again, that is using emunah and twisting it to your own benefit or to your own laziness, which we'll soon see. And, and instead of utilizing it for growth, you're utilizing it for pushing yourself down and lower and lowering your level. And of course, this go works across the board for anything in the spiritual growth. How many people they go and they would say, I am waiting for inspiration. And that's, they don't change themselves when they know they need to change. They're waiting for that inspiration, that change to happen spontaneously or something from the outside source. And that's when they're going to go and change. That's not the correct aspect. The correct aspect is that you're basing things on the outside sources to go and influence you. You are your own person and you have to make your own decision that if you want to make a change then you have to make a change right here right now don't start making excuses for this is going to happen when i am going to get this inspiration this is going to happen when i'm going to make a million dollars that's when i'm going to get married this is going to you know i'm going to be able to give this amount of charity when i make this amount of money there are so many things that we make you know excuses for and all that results is our procrastination our pushing things off, and we think that it's coming from a rightful place. And furthermore, you have people that depend on miracles. They depend on all these different types of nisim to happen to them. Sometimes, again, hopefully we'll do a class on it, sometimes it does warrant for that. 
But in other times, and unfortunately in many times, it's due to their laziness. Their laziness, so they, they say, instead of me doing anything, let me rely on this, and that will happen because I'm having the Imunam Dechana HaKadosh Baruch Again, there's a caveat to that because sometimes that does work. And by the way, I just have to put in a, you know, a point over here that this information, you have, it's sort of the balance, you know, and, and it's very, very, there's a fine line that at one point you have to have a monamid that everything's from God. And that's truth, and, and God can do anything and everything. Even if you're sitting at home and even if you're doing nothing, 100% that can happen. And there's another aspect that is driving our reason to say that is there's, it could come from two, two fronts. Either it could come from the fact that we have such a level of high monamid and then you're right in what you're saying. But a majority of the times when we go and we sit back and we say that everything is going to happen because of Kaddish Baruch Hu is going to decree it, a lot of times that happens because of laziness. We just don't want to do something, so we plug in this formula, this Imuna formula, and then we're like, okay, then we're good. So this type of formula where you depend on miracles and you're really not on the level internally to go and, be, and say such a thing, what ends up happening is that you end up, unfortunately... Not you. Somebody ends up desecrating God's name. Because you have, this would validate the viewpoint of the wicked people who say like, look, you can see people trust in HaKadosh Baruch and they don't get saved. And they trust in the miracles and they didn't get saved. They had such a high level of Imunam B'dachon. They had such a high level of X, Y, and Z and they still didn't get saved. And the reason is, can be, I shouldn't say is, can be, is because of the fact that they weren't on that level. They just utilized that for an excuse, and, and really the underlying reasoning was really because of their, of their laziness. So that is what, we, what, what, what our goal is today, Bezat Hashem, with God's help, to try to un- uncover and to try to get clarity on that, on that subject, on that area. And in order to go and understand this, and, and really the focus really that I wanted to speak about was laziness. But in order to understand laziness, I feel that it was... Apropos to go and, and describe honor, because with when you understand certain aspects of honoring, you'll understand cl- more clear the aspect of laziness. So, the Chavot Avavot goes in Shalabitachon goes on and explains that you have people that honor the wealthy, and they not only that says says the Chavot Avavot, but you have people that they, their, their main focus on acquiring money, on acquiring wealth better, is only because of being honored by other people. And they want to sort of make a name for themselves. So you have, there's, there's two different facts that we have to understand over here. Number one is the fact that people want to make money for just having a lot of money. And number two is the fact of making money so that people could honor them, so, so that they would get this kavod, this honor that they have. And the reason explains the kavod al-kavod, of why they come to this conclusion, and it's an erroneous conclusion, is that they see that people honor the wealthy. And why do people honor the wealthy? So the kavod al brings down two, um, two reasons. Number one is that when something is very important in your life, you honor and you respect what is important in your life. So, so if somebody is very, uh, very into the materialistic world of movie stars and uh, all these entertainment stars, so, and this is very important in their life, when they see them, 
they will go and they will honor them because this is something that is important for them. You have other people that can't, you know, like it doesn't mean anything to them. There was once, it just popped in my head, I don't remember which star this was. I, I want to say like someone like Michael Jackson, but it wasn't Michael Jackson, but it was on that caliber. Uh, and they were, you know, flying and they, they were flying somewhere and it was first class and somebody bought this, a, a big rabbi, a ticket in um, in first class also to go and, and drive them out, you know, fly them out to whatever it is that they wanted to go. And the rabbi was sitting right next to this big, like, superstar of, like, uh, you know, Michael Jackson, like, level. It may, it may have been, I don't remember who it was. And the rabbi is sitting over there and he's learning. Well, what is he sitting over there on the plane? He's sitting on the plane and he's learning. And the, you know, everyone's coming and taking pictures with this star. And meanwhile, his person that's sitting there is not, you know, doing anything. And the guy, this, this star, goes over to the rabbi and says, hi, you know, gave him sort of a shalom aleichem. Hi, you know, my name is Michael, you know, Jackson, or whatever it was, uh, this, this superstar. And he's like, oh, hi, my name is, you know, Shmuel Grossman, or whatever the rabbi's name was. And the rabbi says, you know, the, the, the star goes, says, do you know who I am? And he's like, no. And the star was so shocked. Like, how do you not? You don't know who I am? Like, how do you not? Like, it was like, it's unheard of that he ever went somewhere that somebody didn't recognize him. And why do people recognize and give honor? Is because this is who they respect. This is somebody they respect. And, and to show you the difference, so when you go in America, you go to, to California, right? And you're, you're visiting LA and you're driving and you see a star. Everybody rushes over and they want to take pictures and they want to, they want to get the, you know, autographs. They want to get, you know, even just to shake the star's hand or high five, whatever it is to the star. You go to El Israel, you go to Israel, and you go and you see what do the people in Israel respect. You go to, and I've been there and I've seen this, where you see all of a sudden, I remember going in Israel, this is back when uh, Marana Vadya Yosef was, was alive, and when, I remember one time I was in the Kotel, and he came to the Kotel. And I, it looked, it was just like it was paparazzi, you know, for that you think in, you, you see in, in Los Angeles for the, you have his car pulls up right up to the hotel and everybody recognized the car. Everybody's rushing over. There's pictures. People are trying to push to get a hold of the rabbi. This is what they hold is important. So in Israel, by the Kotel, who do you hold is important? He's, this is who is important. You see, you know, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, this is who is important. You see the little Baba Rebbe, this is who is important. And then you go, unfortunately, to the other side, and you see, oh, who was important? Michael Jackson, or whatever it is in that level. So, the reason, says the Chavot HaVavot, of why people go and they honor the wealthy, is because this is very important in their life. The, the people go, and they see, and their, their whole mindset is all about wealth. So when they see somebody like a Mark Cuban or a Donald Trump, or Donald Trump is for a different reason, but you see like, you know, Bill Gates, you see Tesla, come on, what's, uh, you know, oh, I don't know, it's blanking, but you know who I'm talking about, right? The owner of Tesla, you see all Mark Zuckerberg, you see all these people, if, if it's money is the most important thing in your life, Elon Musk, okay, that popped in my head. All right, you see all these most important people in your life. If money is so important to you, then when you go and you see somebody who has a lot of money, that makes you honor them. That makes you respect them. 
If you're very into Torah, you're very into uh, you know, the things of the spiritual, then when you see somebody in a higher spiritual level, that's who you will go and you will respect them. So, one of the reasons, says the Chavot HaLavot, is why people go and they honor their wealthy is because this is important in their life. This is something that they regard as very important. Number two, says the Chavot HaLavot, is that the reason why people honor the wealthy is because they hope to benefit from them. They hope to get something from them. Again, 99.9% of the time, they don't get nothing from, the, from, you know, from that. They don't get nothing. Like, it's not like the wealthy guy is going to go and just going to write you a check or sign you onto a business deal. But people think in their mind that this will happen. And because of that, they will go and they will honor the wealthy because maybe, maybe they're going to get something from them. So really, the reason why they're honoring them is not for the honor and the respect for themselves, for, for the person or the, uh, the wealthy, the, uh, you know, the successful, whatever it is, but really it's because of themselves. So this is a very important point to think about, to ponder upon, is that when you go and you honor somebody, or you give them a little bit of extra kavod, you have to think about why. Why is it that you're giving them that honor? In Parashat Kedoshim, in Vayikra, chapter 19, verse 32, it says, Mifne seva takum. In front, you shall get up, stand up in front of an aged, like an older person. Va'adalta zaken. And you shall respect and honor the elderly, the sages. The, 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 the more of it, this is actually referring to more of the, in, in terms of age, the elderly. And then the Pasuk finishes, Hashem. I'm sorry, And you should fear God, I am, you know, and I am your, I am your God. So, the Pasuk is very interesting. The Pasuk tells us that we have to honor, we have to stand up before the age and honor the, the, you know, the, the sages, the, the elderly. And then the Pasuk ends off that you have to go and you have to fear God. The question is, what does fear God have to do with anything over here? And the answer is, is that God, what does it mean that fear God? That God knows who you are and what is your thought process. When you go and you honor somebody, God knows why you're honoring that person. So meaning that you should go and you honor, make sure that you honor that person for the right reasons. And furthermore, on a little bit of a different note, then when you go and you want to honor somebody, or better yet, that person requires some honoring, whether it's an elderly person or righteous, but whatever it is, it requires honoring, but you are not interested in giving kavod to this person. So you make believe you don't see it. So you look away, you pretend you know, that you don't see it, but really it says, the pasuk ends up, that you have to, you have to go and you have to fear God. Why do you have to fear God? Because God knows your thought. You can't pretend that you didn't see it. It works in this world. It works in this world that you pretend that you didn't see it. But we have to sidetrack over here. And we have to, we, there's two commandments that we learn from this. The first commandment, that there's, there's actually a commandment that you have to stand up in front of an elderly person. When they reach a certain age, and again, it's you know, different uh, areas. Some say that it's 70. Other people say even, even as early as 60. You have to go and you have to give kavod. You have to stand up. They went through life experience. They went through something and you have to go and you have to honor them. Again, when and how you honor them is not the scope of tonight's, of tonight's uh, you know, shir. But you have to honor the elderly. The second commandment that we learn from this is that you have to honor, you have to stand up in front of a Talmud Chacham. If somebody learned a significant amount of Torah and is deserving in a higher level of respect, when the Tachmid Chacham passes by, you're supposed to stand up. And that's why when you go to certain, you know, weddings and they call up a rabbi to give a bacha under the chupa, people stand up. They give honor to, not to the, to the person per se, but in a sense to the person, but really, convert to, the, to the, all the Torah that this person learned. And just as a sidetrack, people don't realize is that you also have a requirement to honor your parents. 
The, the Gemara in Kedushin, page 31b, goes and says, Rabbi Yosef heard his mother's footsteps. He would stand up. Why? Because the Shechina, which is referring to his mother, was coming in. And this is something that people, unfortunately, you know, I see, if your parent comes in, you have to stand up for your parents. This is a requirement. I remember growing up that, I remember my mother. My mother would make sure, ever since we were a young kid, we would, she would make us always stand up for when our father comes in. When my father comes in, we would always stand up. And my mother, if we didn't stand up, she would be like, oh, you know, you got to stand up. You know, my father just walked in. We were ingrained when we were children, little kids, that we have to stand up when a parent walks in. This is a requirement. You have to respect your parents. This is something that I see constantly that people don't, don't follow through. And, 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 and it's, you know, it's something that, that it, it really needs to be focused on. There is a kavod, there is a respect, there is an honor that you have to have to your parents, you have to have to your rabbis, you have to have to the elderly. You go and you stand up. Obviously it goes without saying, you're sitting on a bus on a train, and an elderly person goes over there, and you're sitting down, obviously you stand up and you give them the seat. Unfortunately, in our day and age, we're so involved in our own minds and our own phones that we tend to forget there's an outside world. We tend to forget that there's other things that we have to focus on. And we really do, we really need to focus. And, and if you get one thing out of this class, and that is to start standing up for your parents when they walk into the room, it was worth it for you to sit over here and you know spend an hour or so, whatever it is, listening to this just for that fact. For my, I don't understand why people don't focus more on this. I really don't. I, I, I still I remember this. This was something that I was ingrained since I was a little kid. To the point that we did it even without thinking. It became like a, like a, like ingrained in us that we didn't even think about it. Our parents walked in, all the kids would rise. Even for a little bit, rise, and then it, it was without even thinking to the point. But now, we spoke about honoring the elderly. We spoke about honoring the rabbis. We spoke about honoring your parents. Well, what about honoring the wealthy? So we know that Rabbi, Rabbi Huda Nasi, Tatanai, and Rabbi Akiva, they did honor the wealthy. They did honor the wealth. And, and there is a certain aspect of where you are supposed to honor the people that have a lot of money. The Gemara over there goes and says that the reason they honor the wealthy is because they use their wealth to supply food for the people for that, that needed it, for the needy, for the poor people. So they did chesed with their money. But there is another aspect that I recall learning many, many years ago, that if HaKadosh Baruch Hu went and he gave someone a certain amount of money, that means that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave this person an amount of a responsibility. When if someone has a tremendous amount of money, it's not because that it's just meant for you. It's meant for you to hold and to give it out to everybody who, who is in need. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu goes and, and gave this person a very big tafkid, a very big uh, purpose in this person's life. And for that, there's a reason also to go and, and to honor them to a certain extent, but it has to be for the right reasons. The Ma'apel Nefesh goes and says that when people go and when people honor the wealthy because they think that they're going to get something, we have to make one thing very, very clear in our minds. And that is the wealthy do not have the capability nor the power to give us or hold us back from anything that HaKadosh Baruch Hu decreed that we get. Now, even if it was decreed that money will not come from this wealthy person, this wealthy person can try to give as much as he wants to or she wants to this per- to, to person. Why? It's, if it was decreed that it wouldn't happen, it's not going to happen. Even though there's free will. There is free will. The guy could try to give it. But the completion, the completion of the act is not in man's hand. It's rather, it's in God's hand. And likewise, on the flip side, a rich man cannot prevent somebody from having money. Some people, when they get a lot of money, they get into their head. 
and they feel that they have the power, you know, you're never going to walk, walk, you know, work a day in this town again, in this industry again. They think that they have all this power. Guess what? As a wake-up call, that if a person is supposed to make an, a certain amount of money from a certain amount of position and a certain amount of, you know, uh, you know, department in a certain industry, the rich man cannot withhold back anything. If it's something that's meant to happen, you will get the money. If it's something that's not meant to happen, you will not get the money. Even though the rich man is trying to give it to you, you're not going to get it. If it's only, it all depends on what is uh, what is decreed. And this is why some people have a a little bit of a confusion that they feel like they got their money because of their industry that they went to, because of maybe the business that they went into, or the degree that they went to, or maybe the inheritance that they got. This is very faulty because really it's all from Hashem. Everything is from God. Everything is from Hashem, nothing else. So here we have a little bit of a flip side that we have to try to go and uncover this balance that we have to do. Such an important balance where you have at one point that we know that everything is from God. But another point we have to do our shadud and we cannot be lazy. So the Pasuk in Shemot, uh, chapter 23 verse 8. It says, "V'shochad lo sikach." You are not allowed to go and accept a bribe. Why? Ki ashochad yaver pikichim. A bribe will blind those that can see. V'yisalef divrei tzadikim, and it will corrupt the words that are right. So, there's a few lessons that we can learn from here. Number one is a very, very obvious lesson, and that is that money blinds people. This is not a lesson that is new to anybody. Everybody is very well aware. That money blinds people. Period. There is, you know, everybody would agree to this. There's nobody that this doesn't, doesn't agree with this. But there's other lessons from this. And that is, I feel like, is such an important lesson. That the bribery will blind those that could see. Meaning that you could see something. And technically, this something that you see, this, this let's call it this something X. This is wrong. But you will be blinded that you will transfer that X into a Y and all of a sudden it's not going to be wrong anymore. That you could go and you could do something wrong, but you will be blinded in the aspect that you're not going to see that it's wrong, that you're going to see that it's okay, that it's right. And sometimes it's a mitzvah. And just so that we understand this, it's not only that... You're getting you know, bribed by money. Bribery does not have to be with money. I'll give you another example with, uh, let's say you're going to go learn. You want to go learn. And then you decide, you know what? I want to sign into this class. I want to watch this class. But I really need to spend more time with my family. I really need to spend more time with my kids. I really need to spend more time with my spouse. Which is really a good reason. And, and, and in many times, it is correct. In many times. But what happens is that instead of going and learning... You go and you'll spend half of the time, let's say it's an hour that you were supposed to learn, you say, no, I need to spend time with the family. Half of that hour, you go and you sit on your phone. And then the other half, you spend time with the family. So then really, you have to realize that all that was, was an excuse. You didn't go and you say, okay, I need to spend more time with my family, because then you would have spent the whole hour with the family. But rather, what you did was that you had an excuse, you, want, you wanted out. So you found an excuse, you got out, and yeah, okay, fine, you end up doing partially a part of it. But at the end of the day, you see that it was excuse. Otherwise, you, you utilize the full time. You know, sometimes uh, this is so apropos in dating. Oh man, uh, you know, from from the guy perspective, if a guy is dating a girl that's very very attractive, 
So they could be blinded, they could be bribed. The girl could have a terrible personality. The, bur- the girl could be very on a much lower level spiritually than them. The girl could have you know, so many other issues, but they're blinded by a certain sight. But they're blinded by a certain thing. A guy could have tremendous amount of money. The girl could be blinded by the fact that he's a terrible personality. Can't call that a bad person. He's a terrible personality. He has terrible midot, terrible character traits. But he has so much money, you think, okay, I don't have to work a day in my life. I'll have 17 maids, 45 bedrooms, I'll be on vacation four times a year. You know, so you oversee certain things. These are all bribes. These are all bribes. Does not have to be, hey, by the way, let me slip some, you know, hundreds under the table for you. People think that's what's bri- bribery is not only about money. Bri- bribery can be about money, it can be just about so many other things. Now, I'm not saying that a person should only date non-attractive poor people, you know, but you have to keep it in mind. When you like somebody, you know, and, and Baruch Hashem, I had the, 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 the ability to go and, and speak to a lot of people in the dating process and how they go and they have these different questions about the person they're dating. And I could see that the person that they're dating is like, not, not all the times, but sometimes like so bad, like, like this so bad, but they're still sticking on to it. And the reason they're sticking on to it is, is for outside reasons that they sort of get, they, they were bribed into it, but like without realizing that they were bribed into it. They were blinded by a certain thing that was so important to them that they failed to see so many other red flags that just, you know, just like stuck out. So if one go, and taking this idea, if one goes and is lazy, then they will use emunah as a bribe to not do something and to avoid a certain scenario, and they will put it on the emunah. So they will take this, this thing that they need to do, they will bribe it with a, level, with a cloak of emunah, and now not only are they not doing something, they're doing a mitzvah now by not doing it. So instead of getting up and get, you know, going on a date, or getting up and getting a job, or going up and going to learn the yeshiva, they're sitting over here and they're on a level that they realize that they're doing a mitzvah by being lazy. And this is a very, very big problem. And this is something that we have to be very, very careful when we go and we balance emunah and laziness. So we know that there's two reasons that we need to work. Number one, this is something we spoke about, I believe it was uh, the last class that we gave, uh, or one of the last class that we gave, that one of the reasons is that, that life is a test. And we know in Gemara Shabbat, page 31 goes and says, that, you know, Did you go? They asked you after 120, did you deal honestly in business? You know when we have to work? Because it's a test. Life is a whole bunch of tests. And we have to go and we have to pass that test. That's one reason. Reason number two is that we have to be busy. It's very, very important that human beings are busy. The Beis HaLevi goes, Rabbi Yosef Dov HaLevi Soloveitchik goes and says that we know that Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu goes, God goes and provides for our needs. He gives us everything. So why do we need to work? To keep us out of trouble. Before the sin of the Etzadas, before the sin of the, of the tree, the angels would go and would roast meat and prepare wine for Adam HaRishon. This is the Gemara and It goes and says that they, they would prepare wine and they roast meat for Adam HaRishon. Adam HaRishon didn't need to do anything. He would sit back and relax. But afterwards, after the sin of the Etz of the, after the sin of the tree of knowledge, now he had to go. He had to go and now he had to work for his, for his food. He had to work for his panasa. 
But had the situation remained the same, men wouldn't have to work. Women wouldn't have to work. We'd be able to sit all day and things would just be taken care of. But there was, another, there was another aspect, a very important aspect of why it is so important, says the Beis Alevi, that we work. The Mishnah Iksuvot, the fifth chapter, the fifth Mishnah. It says, Shahabatala mavi'a ledezima. That idle time, boredom, wasting time, that brings to immorality. That brings to immorality. Now, I don't want to go into delving this, to delve into, into, into much of this, but when you have cases of infidelity, when you have cases of people going and delving in, in, in the immorality, a lot of times because they're, they have that time, the extra time in their hands, they're going and they're going from the gym to, the, you know, to get the smoothie, and then they go from the smoothie to go and talk to their friends. They just have time to waste. And when you have time to waste, and when you have the idle time, this brings to immorality, this brings, says the Mishnah, to bad things to happen. So it is very, very important that we, kept, that we, we are kept busy. But let's say you have a tzaddik. You have a tzaddik that overcomes their desires. And they are only focused on serving a Kadosh Baruch That someone on this level, that he doesn't need to be kept busy. And now he doesn't need, he doesn't need the test of life, because he would automatically pass it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu would go on a test of this guy is going to pass it already. He doesn't need those two aspects of it. Then that person could really sit back, learn to lie, and, and all the money is going to come to him. Everything is going to come. He doesn't need it. And we see this. We see this in generation, in our generation. Even you have the Gidolei Adol. They don't need to work. They go and money just comes to them. Again, they don't spend money. They, go, they have the money. They give it to anybody else. That's what makes them a Gadol. That's what makes them the great of the generation, the leaders of the generation. But you see, they don't need to work. Money just comes to them. How many times you have, uh, what was the story? I believe it was Rabbi Steinman, if I'm not mistaken. You had million, millionaires. People had so much money that were willing to go and pay for Rabshamin to fly, not fly first class, to fly on a private jet around the world, wherever needed, and pay him tremendous amount of money. Yet you see how the rabbi lived. He lived in, in, in like the most simple life. You go visit Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky, the Gadol Adol. You know how much money people go and they, try, and they donate, and you know how he, the, the, the simplicity that he lives his life, nothing changes. It's like the same thing. Like I've been there, you know, Baruch Hashem Zachiti, that I was able to go to some Gedolim. It's so simple. It's so, it, it, and it's so inspiring to see somebody that has power, that has financial ability to get money, whatever. Like they can do anything. And they could go and they convince that it's really for the best. Kabodat to have a nice house. To go and, and, and for other people, for guests, there's so many reasons to make it right. And by the way, sometimes, that really is correct. But yet they live to the most simplest ways possible. Because they're, they're not interested in that. They're interested in one thing and one thing only, and that is serving HaKadosh Baruch that is connecting to God. Everything else is frivolous. They get, they reach that level, they yeah, the, 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 Problems of Panasat doesn't apply to them. They don't need and and you can see it. They, they they don't have they don't have they don't have to deal with any of those worries. But says the Maharal that Adam was created to be supported by Hashem. But the sins, the averot, that forced him to go and work for a living. 
And if one commits to learning Torah, to sitting in the Torah life, and really not as an excuse for the laziness, they will really achieve that support that was promised by HaKadosh Baruch Hu before the sin of the Nachash, before the sin of the Etzadas. But, at the same point in time, if somebody is not on that level, then we cannot go and wait for the man to fall from Shammai, the man to fall from heaven, that God is going to go and just going to knock on our door and, and give us everything. And by the way, just as a side note, this whole Hishtadut aspect, I'm not only referring to going out to work, I'm, or, or whatever it is the other Hishtadut you're doing, I'm also fo- uh, very much focused on the spiritual Hishtadut that you need to do. You need to pray. How many times do you cry to be? You want to be a millionaire? How many times do you cry to God, make me a millionaire? You want to get married? How many times do you cry to God to make to, you know to get married? You want a child? How many times do you cry to God to make it? That's also a shtadlut. That is also something that you can't say, okay, I have a monabit to let me sit back, and God will take care of everything. Yes, at one point you are supposed to do that, but at the same point in time you're supposed to do your shtadlut. And even the greatest Tanaim, the greatest rabbis of the generation, they worked to make a living. The Gemara and Yuma, page 35b. Hillel was a woodchopper. Brachot, page 28a. Rabbi Yehoshua was a coal merchant. Ta'anit, page 2a. Abba had, you know, had to, he, was a, he plowed. Even though that he was on a level that people would come to him to pray for rain in time of... Like he was a person that he would be able to go and pray to God for rain and rain came down. We know in Bereshit, chapter 13, verse 7. Abraham, he was a shepherd. Bereshit, chapter 26, verse 12, Yitzchak planted. Bereshit, chapter 30, verse 30, Yaakov guarded sheep. Moshe, in Shemot, chapter 3, verse 1, he was a shepherd for Yitro. The greatest of the generation, they worked. Again, I'm not saying that you have to go work. Don't get me wrong. It, sometimes people's work nowadays is sitting and learning on Kolo. They get paid for that. That is their, their, their work. Some people are rabbis. Some people, whatever it is, I'm not saying that you have to go work. But we see over here, laziness is not the way out. It's not that, okay, I have to sit back. Okay, I have a munah Everything is going to come to me. That's the way that it's supposed to happen. Ah, I'm such a high level rabbi. I don't need to go work. I don't need to go. How many times I speak to people? Especially when they're older. And it's so hard. It, it's really hard for me. Because I speak to people that are older. And they get burnt out. And I know that they're burnt out. But they stop going on dates. They stop going to Shatchanim. They just stopped it. And like, even though anybody that knows me knows that I'm very blunt. At the same point in time, I know I, I have to be sensitive. I, I know, I have to be sensitive. In certain cases, maybe my emotions get the better of me. And I'm not as sensitive as I should be. But, but I know, and it, you know, I work on it. It's something that I need to be sensitive. And I speak to elderly pe- people. And they don't go on dates. And they start using excuses. You know what? You know, if God has someone for me, they'll send them to me. And I try to say in the nicest way possible. Be like, but what are you doing for that? Are you on a, such a high level that your zivug is going to knock on your door? Do you really think that you're on that level? That you, maybe you are. Maybe I don't know. Maybe you are. But from what I know, again, I don't want to judge. I'm not judging you. But I would say you're not. In the most nicest way possible, you're not on that level. You're right. You know, I'm not saying that you're a sinner. I'm not saying, but let's be honest. You know, like, are you really on that level? Probably not. You know, I don't want to say that one of the reasons that if you are on that level, you wouldn't be talking to such a lowly person like me. You, would, you know, you'll be on a higher level. You don't need me. 
The fact is that if you're not on that level, then don't utilize an excuse and force God into an equation. And then what happens is, you'll be like, oh, I don't understand. I had such a emunah and God that God will go and send me my shidduch and he didn't send to me. And really, that has nothing to do with emunah and You're just, you lied to yourself. You, you bribed yourself. The, the shokha, the bribery goes and blinds people that can see. How many times, this is, I can't, I can't emphasize enough how important this topic is. This topic is not a topic that you should just like, okay, I heard this class and let me move on with my life. You know, like I'll take one. This is, this is something that you really, really need to think about. This is such an important, this is such an important topic that you really have to think about it. Like, why are you doing what you're doing? Are you lazy? Do you have that level of munam Like, where are you holding? Now, I know for some people, this is going to cause a midlife crisis. Like, like, oh, like, like, they're, as is and is, they're, they're going and they are in like a anxious mood. And all of a sudden, I throw this bomb at them. They'll be like, great. Okay, great. Now I can't sleep because maybe my whole life I was living a lie. And I don't know where I am and who I am and how level I am. And I, you know, like, uh, take a step back. Forget about the past. Focus on the future. Focus on where you're holding right now. Where are you holding right now? It's very, very important that we do not utilize emunah as an excuse for our laziness. Laziness is a very, very bad thing. And now, I know it's a little bit late, but that was pretty much my introduction to laziness. <laughs> uh, so we'll have to see where we'll get to it. But the aspect of laziness... You know, the Klozen Begarabra went and he made this crazy program. And the program that he did was that people will learn 70 blot per month of Gemara. That, that is 70 pages of Gemara per month. With the Gemara, the Rashi, and the Tosfos. So that is something like that will take minimum an hour to two hours to do one page. And he said, it's per, you know, per hour, let's say. And he said 70 pages per month which is a very, very high amount. And not only that, that every two months, the people would go and review 210 pages of Gemara, which is a lot. So someone went over to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, do you think that people would go and they'll be able to you know, understand the Gemara by learning by such a high, fa- high pace? So the rabbi says, who said that was my intention? Who said my intention was that people will know the Gemara when they finish with this? That was not my intention of starting this program. He says, you want to know what my intention was? My intention of starting this program was that it will keep the people busy. And if, you have, if you're busy, you're not going to have time to sin. And that is the goal of my program over here, is that people won't go and won't sin. That's so important in life to keep busy. And if you are blessed with a job or an opportunity or you know, money or success, whatever it is that you don't have to work so hard, it is very, very important that you keep busy. Rabbi Victor Miller also told about himself, he said he never took a vacation. He would always keep busy. And he would always tell people that he, well, what was he busy with? He was busy studying for his tests. So people would ask him, what test are you studying for? Is there a government program for like a rabbi now that you have to pass? And he says, no. He says, I have to pass a test after 120. After 120, God is going to test me. He says, what did you do on earth? What did you learn? He says, now is the test time. Now is the time that you have to go and get tested. And that's what you have. You see a lot of gedolim. They, never, they don't take vacations. They never took vacations. And even you have Gedolim that took vacations. You have Rabbi Yasser, for example. He used to go on vacation and buy the gun. 
And what was his vacation? The vacation means that instead of learning 18 hours a day in the Bet Midrash or in his house, he would learn 18 hours a day in a different location. That was the vacation. It was just like getting in a different scenery, but doing exactly the same thing that they needed to do. Learning 18 hours a day. Because it's very, very important that we are kept busy. And laziness has a way of creeping into each and every single one of us. And we tend to sometimes use emunah or other excuses for our laziness. And it says the Misilat Yisharim that laziness, you know, the, the problem of laziness, that a person can know his obligations, his requirements of what he needs to do. Yet the reason why he falls short in these obligations is not because the lack of recognition of what he needs to do or she needs to do. But rather it's because the power of laziness that affects the person and takes over the person and that's what pushes the person away from acquiring and accomplishing their obligations and the requirements that they need to accomplish. And furthermore, says the Mishraf Tishrim, says the Ramchav, Moshe Chaim Lazato, says that the danger about laziness is that a person could go and justify their laziness with so many sources from the Gemara, from the sages, from the Torah. And they bring these logical arguments. And they say, look, you see what I'm doing is right. And they're talking to themselves, I'm doing the right thing. But really, says the Misilat Yisharim, this does not come from logical thought. This rather stems from laziness and this overcomes their rational thinking. Now, I utilize this thought process so many times in my conversations with people. This is so, so important. That we think that we are thinking with our brains, with our logical thought process. But really, a majority of the times, we're not thinking with our brain. We're thinking with our emotions. When I have people go and they deny, they say, you know, they call me up, they say, I have, you know, questions on God, I have questions on Yiddishkeit, I have questions on Judaism, I have questions on the Torah. They have all these questions on God. And we try to go and delve into each question appropriately. And after I answer those questions to the best of my ability, I give them this bomb, which is really, I feel, was the underlining reason of all the questions. And that is... 9.9 9.9 out of 10 times that when people have questions of God, on God, or anything else for that matter, on their prayers, on the Torah, whatever it is, any questions that they have on spirituality, it's not based off logical thought. It's based off emotional thought. And I've said this many times in the classes. And I feel it's so important. And it's something that B'zad Hashem I will continue saying many times because this is something that I, whoever listens to our classes, it's just something that I want to, you know, Pass on to whoever is listening because I feel it's so important. From my experience of speaking to people, I see this time and time again and this is really the underlining answer to so many of your life's problems or of your life's questions. Is that we have these questions in life. But these questions are not logical questions. These are questions, not questions that are coming from our mind. These are questions that are coming from our heart. Maybe we're angry at God. Maybe we're angry at Hashem. And that's why all of a sudden it stirs us some, some sort of you know, questions. Maybe we have desires, lusts and reasons to go and, and, and indulge in our desires. So cognitive dissonance for whatever reasons we go and we try to justify our actions. So we come off to some sort of conclusions that we think is logical. We think that we're thinking very logical. That we're questioning everything and we're doing the right thing. But really it all stems from our emotions. It has nothing to do with logic. 
And again, I could del- I could speak about this for literally hours because I feel this is extremely, extremely important. But really, it's not the focus of today. But the point is that when you have two choices in your mind of what you should do, you should be very, very weary of choosing the easier option because the root of the reason can very, very likely be laziness and not anything else. When you want to go and you want to learn, when you want to grow, and you decide maybe you know not to for whatever, whatever reason, a lot of times, that's laziness. You want to exercise, and then you decide not to. Laziness. Hygiene. How important is hygiene in relationships? How important is hygiene in, in anything, even if not? Not in relationships. And you decide that whatever reason, not uh, push it off. Laziness. Cleaning your house, keeping your house clean. Again, this is difficult. People have kids. I know it's difficult. I know it's, I'm touching, especially speaking to women. This is a sensitive subject. More than anything else, cleanliness. Whoo, sensitive. But, when you don't do something, is it for reasons A, B, or C? Or really is it because of laziness? And we really have to focus on really something we have to think about. When we go and we make a decision in our life, a decision in our personal professional, whatever it is, you know, whether it relates to our own relationship, our relationship between us and our friends, our relationship with us and our spouse, our are we doing something because it's the right thing? Or do we come to that conclusion because it's the easier way out? Says the Misilat Yisharim, the most valid arguments that we may have could simply be tactics of a person's desire to avoid pushing themselves to the next level. And I'll give you a crazy example. In the introduction to the great work of the Chavot Halvavot, the work that if you learn anything about Emunah, it mostly comes from the Sefer, written close to almost a thousand years ago. Rabbeinu Bachya, you're talking about a Sefer that is unlike any other. And I strongly recommend people to go and learn the Chavot Halvavot. And if you feel like you, you know, like if you open up any Sefer on Emunah, you're automatically going to find quotes from the Chavot HaLavot Shah HaBitachon, the gate of Bitachon, the gate of Emunah. The gate, this is what, what, where, the, where, where the Chavot HaLavot speaks about Emunah. And I want to share with you what the Chavot HaLavot wrote in the introduction to the Chavot HaLavot. And he writes, as, after planning to write the book of Chavot HaLavot, he changed his mind, Rabbeinu Bachya. He says, I thought my powers are too limited. My mind is too weak to grasp the ideas. Furthermore, maybe I do not possess an elegant style in Arabic in which the book was supposed to be written in order to be able to go and, and, and you know, affect the masses. So he said, I feared that maybe the undertaking such a task would, would, which would succeed, not, not really succeed in promoting this, but rather succeed in, in showing my, exposing my shortcomings. Therefore, says the Rabbeinu Bachir, says the Chavot Al-Bad, I decided to drop my plans and revoke my decisions. I'm not writing the book. However, he thought about it, as many people should think about their decisions. And I decided, and I realized, and I recognized that perhaps my motives were not completely pure. And says the Chavot I began to suspect that I had chosen the comfortable option 
looking for peace and quiet, I feared that what I had motivated for the cancellation of the project was really for self-gratification, which has driven me to seek an ease of comfort, to opt for inactivity, and to sit idly by. Meaning that I chose the lesser of the more work needed. And the real reason was because maybe I didn't want to push myself. Maybe, I shouldn't say that. Maybe I, I didn't want to, you know, focus more on my ease and comfort and not push, you know, it's very hard, very complicated to go and to write a book. Very, you know, it takes a lot of time to write a book. It takes a lot of time to prepare. She, oh, maybe it's better than, you know, like, I don't need to do that. I will sit, I will learn myself. I don't need to do all these things. But to our benefits, to the eternal benefit of the Jewish nation, Rabbeinu Bachir realized that he should write the book. And he did write the book. And the book, this Sethel, is a Sethel, Musal Sethel, unlike anything else. Rabbi Shal Salanter goes and says, the Chavot al-Vot, Shah B'Tachon, what we're learning, we've been learning for the past year. This is the Shulchan Aruch for Hilchot B'Tachon. You want to look for the source of B'Tachon, you go to the Chavot al-Vot. The Arizal, told his students that every day they need to study the Chovot HaLavavot. The, the Malach HaMaget, the angel that learned with the Bet Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Karo, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, he goes and the, the angel told the rabbi, read a passage from Chovot HaLavavot every single day because he knew how to subjugate the Yetzirah like no one else. This is what the, the Chavot of Avot, which was on a, such a high level that has an approbation, has an askama from the angel themselves. Not, not from a rabbi, from an angel. If he almost fell victim to the aspect of, of the easier way out, the laziness way out, then every single one of us are at risk of falling to that easier aspect, to that laziness. And how careful we have to go and we have to think about decisions in our lives. Of why are we doing something? Is it really because it's the right decision? Or we're just trying for, we're opting for a way out, an easier way out. Rabbi Moshe Feinstein would go and say that people underestimate themselves. They greatly limit their talents. And they never achieve their potential, their greatness. And they think this comes from an act of humility. But rather, this is not humility. Rather, this is something that emanates from the Yetzirah, from the evil inclination. Time is running late, and I still have a lot. We're gonna go on. We're gonna, we're gonna. We have to. We have to. We have to close the subject out. We have to focus on now. In the next few minutes, possibly more. I'm not gonna say anything. Oh, no, oh, shh, don't say it. Shh, stop talking. Possibly that we have to figure out how to fix this laziness. What is? Yeah. You know, how, how do we go and how do we deal with this? Says the pasuk in Mishlei. The sixth chapter, the sixth pasuk, says Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, the wisest of all men, Lech el nimala, atzel. Go, you lazy person, you sluggard person, go to an ant. Go and see her ways, and become wise. That's what the pasuk says. The pasuk says, go to the ant, you sluggard, you lazy person, and then see her ways, and then you will become wise. So first of all, we have to understand, why did Shlomo HaMelech go and say, go, go learn you know, this from an ant? Why do we have to learn laziness from an ant? And the answer is that you, you look at an ant, ant lives you know, for a few months. 
more or less, plus or minus. And they don't need that much food to live. They're very small, but yet you see the entire summer, they're everything that the ant finds, she's collecting and collecting and collecting. Even though she's collecting much more than she needs to survive. The lesson that we learn is that we're also, we're alive in this world, we have to collect, collect, collect. I'm not talking about worldly possessions, I'm talking about obviously spiritual possessions. We have to focus on collecting everything we have we can in this world. That is lesson number one. But lesson number two is we have to understand why does Shlomo Amalek go and says, go learn from an ant, see her ways, and become wise. Wise? What does that do with what wisdom? You say, go to an ant, study an ant, look at an ant, learn from an ant, and you'll become diligent like an ant. Ant is very diligent, doesn't rest. I've never seen an ant put back three or four of its legs, lean back and get a suntan. I've never seen an ant, to be honest, I've never seen an ant stationary. I don't know, I'm not an ant whisperer, nor am I an ant studier, you know, like antologist or whatever it is that they're called, the people that study ants. But you never seen ants just like hanging out, you know, drinking a beer with the boys, getting their nails done. You know, like you never see an ant just like sitting around. Like I've seen, you know, other animals sitting around. Lions hang around. You know, cats, pretty lazy, if you don't know, you know, if I could say that, like, just hanging around, like, but an ant, have you ever seen an ant just, like, curl up, and just, like, you know, like, into a ball, and just, like, you know, chill, you never seen that, like, an ant constantly is moving, so, we see that an ant moves, so we look at an ant, okay, so we become diligent, what does it have to do with wisdom, go to an ant, at, you know, become wise, well, become diligent, that's what we should learn from an ant, but rather what Shlomo Malach is going and telling us something, a huge, huge point that we have to consider, and that is laziness is not a physiological problem, it's not you because you're physically tired, you're exhausted, that's not what where laziness stems from, laziness stems from an issue of wisdom, a lack of knowledge, that's where laziness stems from, because you have a lack of knowledge. Says the Maharal, that an animal always points their head down. They're always looking down. A human always looks up. An animal is always looking down for the food. He's always looking to see for food. A man is always keeping their, their head up. Why? Because it's something that we spoke about many, many times. Such a cool, if I could say, aspect from the Maharal. And that is, we know that there is moch, there's a brain, there's a leg, there's a heart, there's kaved, there's a liver. We're not getting into the depths of this because a lot of, uh, you know, Kabbalah, re- re- you know, regarding this beautiful aspects regarding parts of your Nishama, your soul. We spoke about it previously, I believe maybe in the incarnation. We spoke it many times. But in any case, the moach is the brain, the lev is the heart, the kavet is the liver. You think with your heart, with your brain, your heart also has an action, and then you have the liver, which is your, 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 the, the, the seat of desires, where all the desires stem from. What a person's supposed to do is a person's always supposed to use their intellect, their moach, their mind. Then they use their lave, their heart, and then use the kavet, the liver. And that spells, in that order, that spells melech. Moach, lev, kavet. Mem, lamed, and then obviously chaf, and the chaf. This is a melech, a king. What's a king? A king who is in control of everything. That is a king. A good king is in control of everything. You want to know how you're going to be in control of your life? You utilize your brain. If you utilize your heart, utilize your other things to come to some sort of, you're just bribing, bribing yourself. And that's why, just like I just want to throw it out in there, it was so cool, but like when Bilam wanted to curse the people, 
what was the curse that he wanted to say? Kalem. The exact opposite of Melech. Bilam's curse was Kalem. Kalem really, literally means destroy them. But how was the destruction supposed to be? He was telling the Jewish people, don't use your brain and then your heart and then your liver. Rather, use your liver first. Start from the bottom. Start from your desires. And then you'll use your heart and then you'll use your brain to come to some sort of bribery, to come to some sort of conclusion that you're really right. So really we have to be a melech, we have to be a, we have to be a king. And in order to be a king, we have to be in control of everything. If you want to be in control of everything, you have to focus on your brain first. That is the focus that you have to go and that is the focus that you have to make your decisions. So we learn over here that laziness is not a problem of weakness in the body or the muscle. But rather it's a weakness of the sechel, of the intellect, of the brain. And that is why when you go, and we, we, we know that who is a wise person? Someone who sees the future. Someone who sees the future is focusing, is utilizing their brain. He knows what to do in life. What's the future? You, you think about it. If someone's going and sitting in bed and it's hard for them to get up for shacharit, it's hard for them to get out of bed. They're lazy, whatever it is. They're tired, lazy, whatever excuse you want to give it. So what is the focus of your life? And if we would just take that scenario and plug it into a different scenario, you're tired, but you have to catch a flight. You're going to get up. You don't want to catch, you want to miss a flight. You're going on a trip. You're excited. You're going to get up. You have a business deal. You're going to get up. You're getting married. You're going to get up. So it's not that you're saying, oh, I'm tired. It's the fact that whatever I'm going to do is not as important as business, flight, money, whatever it is, marriage. So if we, we utilize our brain to understand the importance of whatever it is that we're lazy on, that will gain our perspective and, and, and change our aspect of our intellect, and all of a sudden we won't be lazy anymore. That is why the Shulchan Aruch, one of the reasons Shulchan Aruch starts, the Ochaim goes and starts off, and says, Shiviti Hashem Tamim. I always place God in front of me. I'm putting God always in front of me. Why always God? Because if you realize that God is always in front of you, you're going to make different decisions in your life. If you realize that God is always looking, how can you go and make excuses? So you know what we learn from the ant? The ant foresees the future. He knows that food is not going to be available in the winter. So he prepares in the summer. Got to finish off because it's getting a little bit late. The Mechtav Meliyahu goes and says, you had you know, a primitive person that goes and saves a king's life. And he saves the king's life and the king awards him with you know, going into his treasure house and getting anything that he wants. And the guy's like, I don't understand this king. Like, Not only do I save it, now he's making me work and I have to go pick up stuff from the, from the treasure house. He decides he's going to pick up a few random things and then he's going to leave it. Thinking that he outsmarted the king. But really when somebody wise goes and hears what he did, he'd be like, you fool, you idiot. You can't. You know what you had? You had the ability to go and set yourself up for life. You could have set yourself up for life. You could have gotten everything. When you sat over there and you slept through your whole ability to go and make billions of dollars, millions of dollars. We're placed in this world. We're placed in this world and we have the opportunities. God gives us the opportunities. And He gives us the opportunities to succeed. And we space out through life. We fall asleep through life. We squander those opportunities that God gives us. Because we're thinking, where are we outsmarted the system? There was once a wealthy man. No, incorrect. This man wasn't wealthy. I just told you a different story that I didn't want to say. 
There was once a lazy man who was not wealthy. And he decided that he was trying to find a way to make himself, uh, you know, some sort of meal, some sort of food. And he is walking and he saw a fruit farm, a bunch of trees with fruit in it. And he's looking left, he's looking right, he doesn't see anybody there. He decides he's going to go and he's going to steal some fruit. He goes and he climbs over the fence, goes over to the tree and starts picking some fruit. All of a sudden, from his dist- from the distance, he sees the farmer sees him, and he picks up this like pitchfork and a sword, and he starts yelling, and he's running at him. And this lazy man is gets so scared, he drops all the food, and he starts climbing over the fence, and he starts running. And the li- and the farmer is chasing after him with his pitchfork and his knife, and they chase him straight into the forest. And this lazy guy is running and running and running until he realizes that the farmer is no longer chasing him. He's out of breath. He's sitting there, he's trying to rest, and he suddenly, you know, can get his bearings of where he is. And he's looking around, he sees, you know, he's in the forest, he's a bunch of animals. And he sees in the distance something that looks very, very odd. He says he sees a fox, and generally he would be very scared of the fox, but for some reason he wasn't scared of this fox. And he sees the fox, he goes closer and closer, and he sees that this fox only has two legs. It's missing the back two legs. And this lazy guy goes and looks at this fox, and he says... How is this fox surviving? You know, like there's so many other animals in the forest over here that would just kill the fox and eat it. The, the, the fox has no way to run, no way to protect himself. So this lazy guy decides that he's going to go and he's going to watch how this fox survives. And he's sitting over there and he's looking at this fox. And this fox can't really walk, watch, more, you know, just standing over there. Or tilting over there, leaning over there. And suddenly he sees all the animals start, that are around him you know, the chipmunks and the rabbits and the, all the other, they start running in all directions. And, you know, it's like, what's going on over here? And all of a sudden, he sees in the distance a lion coming. And this lion has a piece of meat in his mouth. And this lazy man is it's terrified. He says, a lion over there. Forget about it. You know, you run away from a lion. And he doesn't know where, he figures he can't outrun the lion. And he starts, he climbs up a tree. He climbs up a tree and he's looking and he sees the lions coming. All the animals are running all away, but this fox can't run. The fox is just sitting over there. So he's sitting over there. He's like, that's it. This fo- this is, he's watching the end of this fox's life. And he sees the lion comes closer and closer to this fox. And the lion starts getting into the creeping position. It gets closer and closer to the fox. Looking at the fox. The fox is looking at the lion. Can't do anything else. The lion gets so close to the fox. And they're staring at each other. And it seems like it's an eternity. And all of a sudden the lion opens his mouth, drops the meat that was in his mouth, closes his mouth, turns around and walks away. The fox looks at the piece of meat. Dinner is served. He starts eating. And this lazy guy is looking at this. He's like, I can't believe this. This is unbelievable. This is amazing. He says, look at this. God went and provided for this fox food. The fox didn't have to move. Did not the flinch. The lion came and brought him the food. Uber Eats by Lion brought him the food, rated five stars. You know, no, perfectly spiced. Everything was great. Delivery on time. Great conversation. No problems. This lazy guy's like, wait a minute. He says, if the animal, the fox, was able to be provided food by the lion, and God went and provided for this fox, then why do I have to do anything? I'll go sit by the road 
And just like God provided for this fox food, God will provide for me. And like nobody else, forget about it. This guy's on a high level. This lazy guy goes and sits on the road, puts a straw in his mouth, puts his hat down, relaxes, whistling, playing his harmonica, whatever the lazy guy is interested in doing, and he's waiting. An hour goes by. No one's coming with his burger. Two hours goes by. He's like, where's my steak? Three hours goes by. He's like, I'm waiting for my cheesy fries. Where are they? Four, five, six, a day goes by. Nobody's giving him nothing. Two days go by. The guy's like starving. He's like, I don't understand it. What's happening? Like, God, come on. You gave the fox. You can't give me a meal? Two days. He's starving. He gets up, tries to find some food. Find some, you know, nourishment, gobbles it down. He passes by this wise old man. And he goes over to this wise old man. He says, you got to help me out over here. He says, I don't understand. And he explains him the whole scene that he saw. And he saw how God went and provided for this fox. And he says, why does God love this fox but hate me? God showed me. He showed me that he is able to provide even for a fox who doesn't have legs. But for me, a human being, God can't send me a meal. So the wise old man goes over to this lazy man, smiles at him, and he says, you're looking at it all wrong. He says, you're looking at it at the perspective of the fox. That's not what God wanted from you. God wanted you to look at it from the perspective of the lion. Don't wait for the food to come to you. But rather, you be that lion and give the food to somebody else. The lesson, says the wise man, that you so misinterpreted was you were looking at the angle from the fox. You got it all wrong. You have to look at the angle from the lion. You're supposed to be the lion to give to somebody else, not the fox waiting to accept from somebody else. How many times have we seen, heard, felt, thought about something and we interpret it the way that we want to? And we think about, God, what are you doing to me? Like, why are you not listening? I see your power. I see your ways. And God's saying, you're looking at it all wrong. He says, I'm not there to go. And you're not there to go and get a handout. He says, I don't want you to get the handout. I want you to go out and give the handout out to somebody else. How many times this comes up in relationships? Whether it's our friend, our sibling, our spouse. We're just waiting for them to treat us better. We're just waiting for them to give us that good word, that kindness, that compliment we so desperately seek. And we're just waiting. God, come on. Give it to me. Give it to me. Come on. Like they're waiting with open hands. Like just like, when are you going to go and just do something good for me? Says God, don't look at it that way. You're looking at it the wrong way. So just like you have the desire for something and you want something, forget about the aspect of going and waiting for it to come to you. You go and you give it to somebody else. God gave you that desire, that need, that want. Now you realize that there is a, there's a need, there's a want. You, you know that you want something. You know that there is a need and somebody else also wants that thing. So you go and give it to somebody else. We go and we utilize our life and we use it, utilize our life's experience and we think, okay, fine, this is what we need to happen. And how many times do we misinterpret that? No, that's not what God wants. That's not what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants you to take that lesson. Instead of waiting to receive that goodness, you go and you give that goodness to somebody else. How I propose this is for Emunah. 
We hear all about this emunah, we hear about all the importance of emunah and bitakhan, and, and, and rightfully so. But sometimes we twist that, and we utilize it for our own benefit. So when is it going to happen to me? When am I going to get this goodness that I so desperately want? And yes, there is an aspect of emunah bitakhan on that. But our focus should be very strongly on the aspect of not what you can get, but rather but what you can give. And don't utilize different life's interpretations, different life's experiences to interpret it for your own laziness. Be honest with yourself. Be truthful to yourself. You want to accomplish something in your life? Do it. Get up and do it. Stop thinking. Stop giving all the excuses. Just do it. I'll say it one more time. Do it. Do it. Get up and do it. Just like, just like get up and like, and just like do it. So what I'm trying to say is that if you want to do something, just do it. Stop waiting for it to happen. So basically do it. Now I don't know how clear I am so I'm going to explain it very, very clearly. I'm going to say it in slow motion. So listen very, very carefully. <clears throat> Do it. You want to wake up for Shachit? Wake up. You want to start learning? Learn. You want to go and you want to be more modest? Be more modest. Just do it. Just like forget about everything else and just do it. It's very simple. Don't let your laziness overcome you. Don't let your emotional desires overcome your intellectual reasoning. Just do it. Nike got one thing right. Just, just one. I mean, they named their sneaker after a, you know, an idol, so we can't even get to that. But they got one thing right. Their, their, their logo should be a logo of your life. I, I believe, honest opinion, you know, logo-wise, besides like Torah Anytime, God's Reasons for the Internet, like, you know, like, one of the best logos is Nike. Gotta be, hands down. Just do it. Like that, it's as simple as that. You know how many times I have conversations with people and they want to do something, and at the end of the day, I just tell them, "Okay, so so do it." They're like, "What? What?" No, I'm like, "You want just just do it." Like they're waiting for some like motivation. I'd be like, "I'll give you an inspiration that you're gonna cry." Oh, so sad. Oh my god. You know, and then you're gonna laugh. <laughs> I'm so motivated now. I can do it. No, forget about all that. Just do it. Just get up. And do it. You want to get finished shas? Start Dav Yomi. You want to dress more modest? Don't wait till you get married. You want to keep Shabbat? Forget about wait. Oh, when I have grandchildren. I'll... No, do it now. You want to go? You want to go? And you want to work? Just stop. Stop it. Stop with all this you know nonsense talking, wasting time in life. Just do it. Should probably name this class. Just do it. Maybe I should. That's a good class. You know. So maybe we should rename this to like just do it. So as a recap, if I were just to recap this entire class in like one or three sentences, 
It would be just do it. This class is brought to you by Nike, our sponsor. Welcome today. Okay. <laughs> With that, we will open up to any questions. By the way, just do it. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.